Hello, Rose. You're yes, Danny. Yes, nice, nice to meet you. To meet How are you doing? Yeah, good, thank you. You ready for some greasy food and tea yeah, and coffee? Absolutely. Yeah. Sounds this good. is Aaron, by the way. Aaron. Hello, mate. Can I just get two cups of tea to take away, please? Uh, just milk, please. Get the brews on and join me as I catch up with Rose Harvey. Rose was the first Brit home at the London Marathon a couple of weeks ago with a World Championship qualifying time of 2.27.59. Myself and Aaron McCaskill from Curator for Runners taking care of the photographic element of the day went down to the Regency Cafe in London's Westminster. She was enjoying a well-deserved break and we went for a walk to the final mile of the marathon to reflect on that race, her running journey and why she's enjoying some time off to reflect. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm delighted to welcome Rose Harvey. Can you bear a brief overview from your, in your own words? Because yeah. I know when we were just sort of talking before we sort of started officially, like you've covered it a lot, but it'd be quite nice to hear it from you, just like a brief context that like your entry in. Because it was a quick entry, like it was, yeah. it was rapid. Is there like yeah. a rapid like origin story version of it? Yeah, so um, I I got made redundant at the start of lockdown. A hundred mile an hour job as a corporate lawyer. And uh, I yeah, I got made redundant, had three months garden leave, and so basically I decided to set myself a good challenge for lockdown. And originally my first idea was a half iron man. So I started training for that. And then Why half iron man? I don't really know, actually. It had you seems... done triathlon before? I did, yeah. I did a bit of triathlon. Okay. And it just, it just felt like an appropriate size goal for lockdown. That's a big, that's I a chunky goal. I basically goal. needed something that would take up a lot of time. Right. And feel like a good achievement. So, so half Ironman then for people who might not be initiate, like familiar with the distances. What what are the what are the parameters for a half Ironman? A Oh god, what's the swim? It's a nine I think it's nineteen hundred meter swim. Okay. And then a then it's a uh eight no ninety K bike. Uh-huh. And then a half marathon at the end. Just a so, half. Just a cheeky just, half just at the a, end. Just a little half at the end. end. So yeah, I started training for that. And uh, I'd done I'd done triathlon, I'd been in triathlon before, but all shorter distances. So I thought, yeah, okay, that, that'll be a good challenge. And then I was training in Battery Park, running around, and um, I, a coach asked me if I wanted some running training. So I thought, yeah, why not? And started training with uh, Phil Kissy, and then just kind of went from strength to strength, really. Swimming got no better, but my running really improved quickly and just kind of kept on over summer. Uh, and then actually got a, got a new job after my three months, but carried on. Then I think it was about 11 months later, I did a half, a, a half hour, a marathon in Cheshire. And I mean, when I started, by the way, I didn't want to do marathons at all. I'd done, I had done marathons before, I'd done London and I loved it, but I was like, I've ticked that box. Don't really want to do another one. It really hurt. So anyway, Phil convinced me to sign up for this, this marathon. What was his, how did he convince you? Oh, I didn't think I really had much option, to be honest. <laughs> oh, okay, so it wasn't like, there wasn't like an elaborate kind of like, oh, maybe we could do. No, 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 it was just like, you're doing this one. Like, okay, okay fine, okay. I'll do that one. And also there were no events on at the time. Mm. So it, was, it was still very much in the midst of lockdown. So they were pretty slim pickings, but did this, did this marathon in Cheshire and ran to, well, 2.13.58, so just under 2.31. And that was really a big, it, to be honest, it kind of didn't register before then that I'd got to that level. But after that, I was then you know, on this, I was um, like, okay, I've actually, I've actually really improved. Let's see where it can go. Had he predicted that sort of ballpark figure for you, like going into that? Like, was there, was there a target time going into it? Like, yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, it was, it was around that. So it was, yeah, it was, it was it's kind in, of it's like, I'm interested in that realization of like, fuck, I've got speed. Like I can, and I can, I can hold it for a long period of time. Like, What's that like? What was that like? Kind of discovering that, I suppose, is the question. 
I didn't really think about it that much, to be honest. It just, I think, you know, at that stage, it was still this lockdown project. And I didn't really think about where it was going at the time. And I was still, I was still working whilst I was doing this. So it was very much, you know, juggling, juggling running and juggling work. And it wasn't, at the time, I don't really remember thinking of it as, oh, this is going to be my career. Or I'm, I'm going to become this elite runner. It was still very much a lockdown project that had sort of got out a bit out of hand, and I'd done a bit better than I thought I had. But I think it was—I think there were a couple of moments when I started to realise that actually, yeah, I've got something here, and I—I've really got to make the most of it. And I think the first time was when I got selected for the England team, which was last August, and. When I when I started training with Phil, my I um, realised that you know actually triathlon probably wasn't going to make it in triathlon, but running I was alright at. I was like, you never know, never know, never know. <laughs> I didn't really love it, but my swimming is terrible. Um, but when I got this England vest, I think my original goal when I with running was to get a Surrey vest. And I think when I got selected for the England team, I'd kind of realised like the scale of the project and, and how much I ex exceeded my original goals. Um, and that was that was a really big moment for me. And just, you know, representing England, just, I was like, I've made it. This is it. I peaked. Uh, and that was, yeah, that, that was really cool. And then Seville, obviously, a really big PB. Uh, and that, that was, that was, that was really... That was the sort of turning point, and when I started speaking to brands about sponsorship, and that was sort of the that felt like the next chapter, really. What I'm curious in that thing, right? How, how does that sort of do they who calls who? Like, how does that work? Like, do they just be like, oh, that was a pretty good race? Like, what's that sort of how does that unfold? Like, how does that relationship happen when brands start reaching out? And, like, I, start think about I think it's really varied, and to be honest, I don't I don't really know because I've only got I don't know much about the industry at all before before I got into it, uh, and. I, I think a lot of people go through agents, so a lot of professional athletes have, have an agent who manages all the commercial aspects of running for them, so they, they get them into elite races, they uh, work out corp corporate deals with them, pay deals with them, and, and speak to brands about sponsorship. And I, had a, I was speaking to a, a sort of with an agent at the time who was absolutely brilliant. Um, and a, a guy called Dan, who was affiliated with Nike. So he was absolutely amazing, but could only get me a deal with Nike. And he did. And it was, that, Nike were actually on the table before Puma came along. So I was speaking to Nike, and then Puma actually went down a completely different route and messaged me on Instagram. So that's how that started. Okay, okay. So Puma approached me. slid into the DMs, right. Yeah. Yeah, and that's how that started. And what was it? The what was the decision for you? Like, why why Puma over Nike? Um, it was to be honest. When when Puma first messaged me, I'd I'd never run in the shoes, and obviously Molly really brought Puma's name into the running scene. But apart from that, I didn't really know many people with Puma, so they were a bit of a. a Bit of a sort of dark horse, uh, but I started speaking to them, and I didn't I didn't know much about the industry at all. But one thing that I really did want was a brand that I could really get involved with. For me, going professional, obviously, the money helps, and it meant that I could quit my job as a lawyer and all of that. So the financial support definitely helped, but it was never really about that. And at the time, I was working, so I, I actually didn't really need the money the when money I when like I signed. Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I knew I could carry on. Because you kind of working. made it work previously to that. Yeah. You've been working full time, like, and I imagine given what you do for a living or did, pretty intense, right? As a yeah. Profession. Yeah. Um, yeah. It really was, and it did become quite hard to juggle the two. But I was thinking I could do a bit of consulting and probably, you know, make make ends meet that way. So I really wasn't going into it for the money, to be honest. And what I really did want out of it was a, a fun career. And really, that is what running has always been for me. It's about you know having fun with it and doing something I absolutely love. And 
any brand that I went with really had to tick those boxes. And for me, I think when I, when I first started speaking to Puma, that was, Puma just ticked that box straight away. That first conversation, you know, they were so just open and friendly and got me involved with the brand from day one. You know, I spoke to, I spoke to a guy called Dario who told me all about, you know, how they created the shoes, inviting me out to Germany to, to their innovation place for their office. Where they make that sort of magic happen. Yeah, yeah they yeah. make the magic happen. Yeah. And to me, that was just like, wow, okay, this is a brand that I really want to work and get involved mm. with. And that has absolutely been humour through and through from day one to, yeah, I've had so much fun with them. It's been great. Absolutely. And it really is like family, family brand, uh, family culture. And yeah, that was, that was kind of what sealed the deal for me. Um, and the shoes are great. I absolutely love them. So... Do you uh, put on your finance legal hat to like look over the contract? Like, do, do you have a little, yeah, so a little the T's and C's to be like, uh, I'm going to have a look at that as well, thanks very much. Well, yeah, that is the benefit of being a lawyer, <laughs> I did my say. own contract. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, lovely. Uh, it helped. Should we, should we go for a little stroll? Yeah. Yeah, great. So we're obviously going to be heading towards like where the London Marathon finished, but I'm I'm intrigued to sort of go back before the London Marathon because obviously, so you have like yeah you have like the Maranoia or stuff like that, but you had something slightly different happen to you. Yeah, I had a, a new level of Maranoia. Like you know, it was like, oh my training's all. What about my nutrition? But yeah, I mean, what, what what happened? Like talk us through that. So I was running to Tooting Common. Minding my own business on the pavement and a car pulled out of their driveway and went straight into me. And this was 10 days before the race. So I, it was, it was a really bizarre, they got really angry about it. It was a very bizarre situation. But, um, they got angry at you? Yeah, for running on the pavement. <laughs> I know, Wild. crazy. But yeah, I just had this moment where I was like, you know, that, that kind of instant thing is like, am I okay? Am I standing? Yeah. And it wasn't, they were going very slowly, luckily. It could have been a lot worse. But so I where really did it, where did banged it connect? my knee. Oh, so it went into your knee? Yeah, my knee literally took the full blunt front on their bonnet and uh, I hit the bonnet and went over a bit. And it really hurt. And I sort of tried to jog on it. And I was like, oh, this is not good. Oh, so you so, tried to carry on your run like immediately yeah, after? Yeah, and I, oh I ran down the hill and you've got a bit of adrenaline. So you're yeah. like, oh, is it going to hurt? And then, yeah, it's like, this is really hurting. So. Ten days before the race, I did, I kind of tried to get through a couple of runs and it was just really sore, uh, really swelled up. And the day before the race, couldn't do a stride. Did three miles and tried to do strides and couldn't hit less than six minute mileage. So I was, I mean, at that point, you know, I was, I was at the Elite Hotel day before the race and I was thinking, how the hell am I going to get through this? But I thought about it and I was like, I've got two options. Either I, I start or I don't start. And that is it at the moment because there's nothing that's going to fix my knee. So, yeah, I decided to start and just see how it was. And, oh God, it's, it's just amazing what your body can do when it really has to, I think. It's what, like, yes. had, you, had you had, like, any scans or anything? Did you know, like, the severity no. of it? Like... So I actually, I didn't have any scans and I actually didn't really tell people. I didn't tell my coaches. <laughs> they, I told them afterwards, I was like, I've got a little confession. Oh um, what do you think they I would think, have said if you told them beforehand? Uh, I mean, they would have been great about it. They, they, you know, they would have known how to manage it and they would have kept absolutely calm, I'm sure. But in my head, I was thinking, the less I make a big deal about it, the less I'm going to think about it. Mm, and so I actually didn't really, I told, I told my austere Ross, who came around the next day and had a look at it. But I didn't really tell people because I thought, right, okay, I've got, to, I've got to kind of downplay it as much as I can and keep as calm as I can. And the less I think about it, the more likely it's going to be all right. Whereas if I'm constantly thinking, oh, how's my knee today? Is it hurting? It's going to be even worse. So yeah, I, I sort of went into it not knowing whether I was going to make it to 5k, not really, yeah, not knowing if it was going to hold up at all, but yeah, it did, it hurt during the race, but, oh, yeah. I imagine. but yeah. it was, honestly, I just, I was like, right, how can I use this 
to, <laughs> to make the best situation of it possible. I was just thinking, when it starts to hurt, you know, that's when that's when you've got to show show everyone what you've got. Mm. Uh, takes your mind off the general marathon pain. Yeah, so yeah. just kind of focused on it. Tried to, you know, tried to make the best of it. I love that thing though. Bad situation. Bit like that way of like, if I choose to embrace what this potentially could be, like the the mind will like fill in the, yeah. the blanks. Like yeah. I, I think every runner's been guilty of that of being like, oh my god, oh my, especially with a race and especially with a, like a key peak race as well. Yeah. Your mind can. And that's the thing. The marathon is such a mental game. It really is. I I think it's more mental than physical. Really. And you just got to, you got to learn to use your mind to your advantage and get yourself through. It's yeah, it's absolutely key. How do you do that? How do you specifically work on that? Do you do you actively work on it? Like are there yeah. things that you do? Yeah, I absolutely do. And to be honest, I only really started. Uh, it was it was before Worlds. So I got injured, and I actually think, I think perhaps because I I haven't really had this running background you know I, I haven't it's not something I've practiced because I've never really had to and I I think I realized when I got um, you know there were a lot of there were lots of times in training where I think my mind would let me down um, whether that was I think I had kind of a, a strange relationship with failure whereas if I didn't hit a split I would see it as a big failure and you know I'd beat myself up about it and the, there was just there was so much I needed to work on but I think the, when I really realised that was I got injured in, uh, it was April time. Um, I had a bone stress injury in my shin. And I'd been selected for Worlds, my first major championship, first time representing GB. And I got, I got the shin niggle. And um, I kept trying to run through it. And my coach said, you've got to come to training. You know, you can't, this is not the time to be out injured. If you don't come to training, I'm going to have to pull you from the team. And that really got into my head. And so I kept going to training. Of course, it terrible, terrible thing to do. Got a lot worse. And then it got to the point where I couldn't run on it. And honestly, I felt like, you know, I'd, I'd just, I'd handed in my notice at work. I'd taken this huge plunge to go full-time running and really give it a crack. First time representing GB, and it just felt like suddenly everything had fallen apart. Oh, and I'd just signed with Puma as well. So it was my first race for, even though I wasn't wearing, well, I was wearing Puma shoes. First race for Puma, I had all of this, and suddenly, you know, I'd gone on this up trajectory and suddenly it crashed. And off, oh, and a few days, I was an absolute nightmare. Poor Charlie, my fiance, having to deal with it. I was in tears, I thought the world was over. And um, so, yeah, kind of moped around for a few days. Oh no, it's fine. Yeah, I've, I know where it is. Uh, Moped around for a few days, and it was actually Charlie who said to me, "Right, what are you going to do about it?" And I was like, "Yeah, you're right. <laughs> Can't just mope around." So I actually, I was originally planning to go on this training camp to Font Rameau in France, and when I got injured, I thought, "Yeah, I can't do that." And then I changed my mind, and I was like, "You know what? I'm going to go to Font." And the thing is, there are so many, there are so many other things you can work on. Being in, being injured does suck, and it's really hard when you can't do what, you know, what, what you're meant to be doing and what you've just given up your job to be doing. But there are so many other elements you can work on, you know. And I just thought, right, I'm going to make sure everything else is absolutely amazing. I'm going to work on, you know, nutrition mindset, recovery, go to altitude, what can I, what can I really optimise here? And I think it's, yeah, again, it's, it's a big mindset thing. It's just thinking, how can I make the most of it? And how can I, what can I do with what I've got? And so, and that was actually my turning point when I thought, right, there's so much of my mindset I can work on. I read loads of sports psychology books. I actually just love sports psychology. I think, oh, really? Yeah. I think if I weren't a lawyer, you know, if I could go back, I would probably do sports psychology. What is, I it, find about, it, fascinating. What is it about it that kind of piques your interest? I think it's just, I'm just fascinated by how your, how your brain can control your body. Mm. 
I think it's that link, and so you know, so much is is a is a mental thing, and I just find it so fascinating how your mind can create such physical changes. Um, so yeah, I find it absolutely fascinating. Read loads of books and just really worked on how to improve my mindset all round and just absolutely make the most of what I've got, any situation. And then of course that really carries through into marathon running because any little negativity that you've got in there will come out in a marathon <laughs> when it's really hard you've and you've got to be able to, to deal with it. it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you've got to be able to deal with it. So yeah, that was that was really what you know. And I still, it's absolutely. I wouldn't say that I've nailed it whatsoever. I'm still, it's still very much. It's always a work in progress. I just but, going back to that thing as well of like that moment of you going all in, but that extra thing of having like given up your profession as well do you know what I mean like like putting all of like pushing all of your poker chips onto the table and having that I just and then having this sort of the seeming injustice of having yeah. the, the the stress reaction and 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 dealing with that must have been must have been huge and sort of practicing that kind of mental strength are there like or is there like a like a something that's like your bread and butter that you use often that you're always kind of drawing on that you kind of found sort of having gone through that sort of process it's something that's in your roller deck that you pull out often for sort of mental toughness i think honestly just that that experience just, yeah, i yeah. i really i do pull on that a lot and I, I when when i got hit by a car before london i thought well i've gone through all that you know i was i was injured before my first major championship still managed to get fit Oh, and my, my coach couldn't coach me because I was injured and I couldn't follow the plan. So I had to basically coach myself. My osteo actually was brilliant and came out to font with me and helped me through it all. But, you know, I, I prepared for this major championship, basically winging it by myself. And actually, I got really fit through it as well. So I think that was, that was you know, that was a, in a way a shit situation but I learned the most from it and I really did draw on that I thought you know I've, I've done that got through it and the more you the more you can get through and come out with a positive perspective on it I think it just it really sets you up for you, you can deal with anything then I mean obviously you're you're at the, the moment you're enjoying a well-earned break it's been a big year bookended with marathons almost um, I'm just thinking when that next race does come it almost feels like that's part of your ritual now is to to have some sort of like injury or something prior to like prime you like oh, I hope not <laughs> I'm hoping the next build will be a bit a bit smoother I also but... as well want to know like what was the t what happened between you and the the driver did they like they oh they just drove off no, oh, I might gosh. go and stick a post of my face on their car. <laughs> I feel like maybe some news clippings of you sort of uh, crossing the line in, in, in London, maybe. Just to, yeah, just to sort yeah. of remind them. Although I was, I was on the six o'clock news, so I'm hoping they were watching that. And <laughs> just come round, knock on the door. Yeah. Hey guys. Um, yeah, I mean, London then. So, I mean, the race itself, I know you've probably covered this a lot, but I mean the experience of that, the kind of aftermath, like given what you'd sort of been through prior, I mean, how, how was it all? Oh, it was just, it was just one of those days where I just want to relive it all. It was absolutely amazing. And I think, you know, it made it all, all the more sweeter for just the total roller coaster that the year has been. And I got COVID at, at Worlds as well and didn't finish the race, uh, had to pull up because had COVID, yeah. Uh, yeah. and so you know that was after after the tumultuous build up to that, and then I finally got there, got fit. I actually felt really ready for it, and then I had COVID, and it was another you know another knock, uh, and so yeah, I think I think after all that, London was just it was felt amazing to just finish on the high, and it suddenly all made sense. You know, it was suddenly worth it, and it was yeah. Crossing that finish line was just like such a wave of emotions. Yeah, I can't, well, I can't imagine. I can just sort of yeah, sort of bear witness to to you retelling it. Like, 
And obviously, did, did strategy and like tactics, did that kind of all go out the window after the accident? And were you just, I've just got to get through it? Yeah, I didn't, I, to be honest, I think I, I went in with very little expectations and I, yeah, I didn't, I didn't know whether my knee would go out. So yeah, I think it, it did to some extent go out the window. But then when, you know, when I started the race, I stayed with a pack and I didn't, I did, uh, I had a, obviously I have a time in mind, you've got to go out at a certain pace, but I wasn't going to rigidly stick to that. So the thing is with London, it's because it's a women's elite only race, you either, unless you've got a group to run with, you can be running the entire marathon by yourself, which is really hard and not very fun. So I made this decision to stay with to stay with a pack that were going roughly the right time, and uh, just yeah, stay with them as long as possible. And actually, I felt great. I've never felt so good in a marathon and so controlled. So uh, I stayed. My my pacemaker was brilliant. Went to 30k, and then just yeah, I, I managed to hold the pace pretty pretty much exactly, which is. I've never, never actually managed to do in a marathon before, so that was nice. I feel like you've got to find out whatever that neurological pathway was that sort of connected to your brain and turned off whatever was happening with your knee. You've got to find that yeah. patent it oh. and make millions and millions of pounds out it of it. It was one of those days I just, I, it's, it's honestly so, it's so rare to have these days, but you just feel like you're flying and nothing can stop you. You just feel absolutely unstoppable. And I've had, there's only been one other race where I've actually felt like that, and that was at Antrim Half, which was my England debut. And bizarrely, it was the same, it wasn't quite as dramatic build-up, but I moved house that week as well. Mm -hmm. And the stress of moving house, <laughs> the lack of sleep, and moving everything, moving the boxes, I felt so underprepared for it, almost to the point of, well, actually, I'm just gonna go out and enjoy it because I'm so underprepared for it, it's ridiculous and had a brilliant race and just felt like it's i think it's that that flow you just feel so in flow and i i don't really know why why it happened on on that london day but yeah it, it felt brilliant the running gods smiled on you yeah that flow yeah. thing like that i love the fact that you know you being stressed with moving house and or, or whatever the stress kind of is that contextualize a race that you're getting ready for that puts you in a headspace where oh fuck it I'm just going to enjoy it like if you were to have the perfect build up all of the rest perfect preparation like do you think they'll you'd still find it as easy to sort of get into that headspace of like I'm just going to go out and enjoy it like if you'd had like everything was just incredible like yeah I think it's easy when when things do go so well in the build up to put so much pressure on having the perfect race and it's so difficult to have a perfect marathon because it's a long way, a lot can happen. Mm. And I think London really taught me to let go of, of that idea of having a perfect, perfect build and a perfect race. And- I don't think it exists, does it? Yeah, does it? I, I mean, like, it I feels like your know. London kind of was, but then but you then kind of don't want to do down on the races to come as well. Though. Yeah, and my build up definitely wasn't perfect. It wasn't a perfect race because my knee hurt. It wasn't yeah. I don't know, I don't think a perfect race exists. Um I mean I'm hoping I'll be proven wrong one day, but <laughs> <laughs> So you mentioned your coach earlier, well you mentioned your coach telling you to do um the marathon. Like what's that what's that relationship like and how do you how do you work with your coach? I mean me and me and Aaron were talking when we when we linked prior to coming to meet you about that relationship dynamic with a coach and saying it is kind of like a relationship. I mean, what's that? What's that ebb and flow like between you two? Yeah, so I've, I've my my coaches now. Are, I've got different coaches from when I started, and they're based in North Carolina. Oh, okay. uh, they're attached to the Puma Elite Team. So Puma have a. I think they set up. Oh, it must have been two two years ago now. Uh, they set up this elite team based in North Carolina and I actually went out to train with them in the summer um, really lovely group do all distances 5 10 marathon and uh, the, so so they 
I started training with them when I went out there and then they said, well, carry on helping you to London. And yeah, it went really well. So sort of stayed with them since then. But we, yeah, we talk really regularly and um, they, they obviously, they sent me the plan for London and give them feedback after the session. So it's really, you know, I think, I think communication is absolutely key coaches and just having a really honest honest feedback and yeah you know, I'll tell them if I felt rubbish tell them exactly how I felt in the session how I'm feeling before they'll always check in you know with me before a session say how are you feeling for it and if we need to make changes they make changes and oh that's so like I mean like almost fluid. so yeah. say you had a session mid-morning you check in in the morning and be like yeah. Oh, my legs are feeling dead or whatever yeah. like yeah and then after the session check in with how I'm feeling and whether we need to make any tweaks to the rest of the week so you know if I found a session really hard and actually I'm I, you know what I'm absolutely wrecked from that we might push the next one a day or tone down the next one a bit so it's very fluid and um, yeah it, you know I think Kind of the feedback loop is 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 really crucial that's awesome so i mean everyone always is interested to know like what was the what did the typical week kind of look like building up to london how many sessions like how did it sort of if it all or was it in like as you were saying prior was it fluid in that you'd maybe have one session a week or maybe sometimes you'd have two or like you'd modulate like how would it sort of yeah so it alternated i'd i'd either do uh two or three sessions a week really depending on what they what they were so I would either do uh, three, three sort of not huge sessions, or I'd do two, and one of them would be a really big marathon pace session. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it, and this was, I was so grateful for this in London, I think it really helped me. A lot of the really big marathon pace sessions were working on that last 10K. Because that is where every, you know, everyone talks about in the marathon, it really starts at mile 20, and it does. It really does. And that last 10K is, and previously I've been, I think the last time I did London, I was really underprepared for that last bit. And I just underprepared mentally for how tough it was going to be. And then going in this time, I just felt like out of anything, I got that last 10K nailed. (laughs) And it was great. Just got to get to it. Just got to get those 20 miles. But that was it. I was like, in my head, I was like, right, do 20 miles and then it's go. So a lot of it was, a lot of my training was practicing that last 10K and the last 10K of the session would always be marathon pace or a little bit quicker. Oh, okay, so like a, like a fast finish long run or something yeah. like that? Like, yeah, okay. yeah. Uh, there was a lot of progressive long runs. Sort of, it was basically a long run broken down into, mm. broken down into chunks that were at a certain pace. So it might be a bit, you know, starting, starting under marathon pace and then marathon pace and a bit quicker than marathon pace at the end. It's really just training your body to be able to hit that pace when it's absolutely knackered. Mm. And that was, yeah, that was, that was a big focus of my training. And then, yeah, a couple of short sessions in, in there as well. Sort of typical volume for the week? I actually, when I went out to, I've, when I went out to North Carolina, I upped my volume a bit. So previously I've, I've only ever run sort of 80, 85 miles a week, being quite low mileage, just because I don't, I don't really have a high mileage background. You know, I started, when I started two years ago, I was running about 35, 40 miles a week, which is nothing for a marathon runner. And I've just had to eat that up every time a little bit. But you have to be really careful building up because yeah, obviously, cave, caveat this, listeners. It's, yeah. it's, it's unique to the. I always like got to caveat this. These are elite level. It's always unique to the individual. Take yeah. it slow. This is yeah. not running advice. There's no financial advice either. Um, I mean, well, we've kind of just come from the cafe now, and uh, it's a little bit familiar. Yeah. We're on the birdcage walk. Yeah. Oh, the crowds here are uh, amazing. What was the What was the kind of internal dialogue at this point? I if think you could at sort this of point, that monologue, what, I realised how close I was going to be to getting the world's time, and I realised I had to leg it. <laughs> so, in my head at this point, it was just like, move, <laughs> move your legs. But yeah, just soaking up the atmosphere, and I knew this this stretch up here is 
is actually quite a long drag and you can't really see where the corner is but I knew once I got to that corner I was, I was nearly there so it was just about turning over my legs as quickly as I could and just absolutely emptying the tank it just feels so different now like walking here like it's just almost like that sort of yeah. distant memory of, of yeah. all the infrastructure that gets put out for the marathon I mean I feel like if we were going to do like a transcript of this conversation so far though the word marathon has been repeated like so so many times I'm curious like are there other distances you you're kind of interested in or is it like ride or die marathon for life no I would I'm actually going to do a bit bit more shorter stuff I think okay. and partly because I, I want to and I just since I started I've rolled from marathon to marathon to marathon and I actually really enjoy shorter distance stuff. I've just never done it. So I've, I'd love to do some 10Ks, some half, but also I think it would probably benefit my marathon because I feel like that's probably the area that I need to work on most is just that top end speed. Mm. And I haven't come from the traditional background. Most, most marathon runners work up from, you know, started when they're young. So work up from the shorter distances and then eventually get to marathon so they've done all that fast track and then 5k and then 10k then half work but i haven't had that progression so i'm almost doing it in reverse <laughs> i mean like from a yeah from a, a coach's perspective like what that would be like taking that yeah. taking those the, the marathon legs that you that you have and putting it into a different context like yeah, will there, be, will there be track next year, do you think? Will that be yeah, part of the equation? Yeah, I think so. I think so. And it's, yeah, I think I just got to, I, need, I want to work on my leg turnover and just getting faster. So that's my big goal for, for spring. And are there, I mean, are there any, obviously you've got the, the time. I mean, are there key kind of races for the, for the year that you're kind of targeting? Like, do you, do you know that far ahead or? Um, don't have a concrete plan yet. Okay. But just going to, first of all, just going to see how, how I get back to it and how the rest of this year goes. And then really the big long-term goal is Paris and everything has to work backwards from there. So next year really is going to be about trying to get a time that would put me in a good place for Paris. And I'm going to have to, I'm going to be targeting races that I can do that in, so fast, fast marathons. And yeah, as I said, I think I think maybe some shorter stuff in spring just to work on that work on that weakness of of my of my speed and get that a bit better and and also just have a break from marathon. I think so you know, recovery is underrated. April, like... uh, I'm not ruling it out. Okay. 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 <laughs> I'm not ruling it out, but yeah, I think just. Just see how see how the next few months go and how I recover is the first step. Yeah, so true. Recovery is so so underrated. Like, it is so underrated. Yeah, it's amazing what what a rest can do. Have you gone on a journey with that, or has that always been something that you? Because I went, I did a session this morning, and I was talking with the other runner that I was doing it with, and she was like, "You've got a fear of missing out training," and I was like, "Oh God, I think you're right," because I just come back from I was working in Munich yesterday, had like three hours sleep, and was doing this tempo session. It's like why are you doing it? Why are you doing this session? I was like, but if I don't do it, then I won't get better. It's like, you're probably not going to get any benefit yeah. out of it. She's like, you've got a fear of missing training. Like, Oh, I am exactly the same. And it's still something is, it, yeah, I still absolutely do that. Um, I'm, try, I'm trying to learn. I'm trying to get better yeah, at it. Yeah. But it's really hard to, to get out of that mindset of more is more. And I don't think it, I don't think it is. And actually, that's, that's one thing that the, my coaches are trying to hammer into me, that sometimes it's not better to do the session or to do the whole of the session just for the, for the sake of completing it and ticking the box. But I'm that sort of person that will just bury myself just to say I finished the session. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly the same again. Not, and this is the, the differentiation as well is like, I, I very much don't have to be doing it. Like this is, I'm not competing. This yeah. is my profession. Like, but it, it's a, it's a, uh, a weird thing. And I imagine, yeah, when you're at your level and it is your job, the temptation, yeah, to, to yeah. tick it off and yeah. get it done, so you feel like you've done it, is is quite high. Yeah, yeah. And then you ultimately, you never, 
you normally realise when it's a bit too late and you've done this and you, you realise you're in a hole. Yeah, it's like, yeah, oh, that second rep felt a lot harder than it should have done. Yeah. Uh, okay, this is going to be a crime actually, scene. Actually, I'm, I'm still going to do the next one yeah, anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So do you do, I mean, so is there, a, is there quite the group then out there in North Carolina? Are you doing your sessions with a big sort of group of people there? Yeah. How many people are in the team then? There are, oh gosh. Uh, it's not a test, don't worry. <laughs> I feel like there are probably 10, 12-ish. Okay. So quite a big group of, of mixed distances. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, it's an absolutely brilliant setup. And it's just, I mean, it was, it was an amazing experience to go out there and train with them. And it's just also set up for, for running. Mm. You know, it was, it's a real, training camp environment and it just it just sort of takes all the thought out of it you know you just turn up the coach is there they they all you, all you have to do is turn up on time that's it and then coaches have the session set out for you and then you know they'll take you through gym and s and c afterwards and stretching and then there are physios there's osteos there's just just everything there awesome. just there for you and just and like, it, yeah, it's, oh, it's amazing. And then the team to train with is brilliant as well. So it's, it's a really, really cool setup. And yeah, hopefully I'll get back out there. Is there a kind of cross-pollination of like ideas from people who have different distances as their disciplines that you kind of draw yeah, from? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. And I was, I was training a lot with, um, well, Sarah, Sarah Inglis, who is actually just from Chicago, but at the time she was, um, training for, well, she just, no, she'd just done commies. So she was in 10K shape, really, and really fast on the track. But just having her to sort of set the pace and, you know, just push me, push my speed is, is really helpful. So I think, yeah, there's definitely a lot of benefits training with, training with other distances. What about nutrition? How's that for you with the marathon? And we kind of circled back to the marathon, but we were talking about it prior. Like, was that an easy sort of thing? Like, when you're like getting used to that, like, is it something that you've like had to work on? Like, how does it sort of work for you? Yeah, I think it is absolutely it's so key in the marathon. I really is nutrition. Being able to take on nutrition is just a game changer. And yeah, it was it was really hard to start with, to be honest. Yeah. I. In fact, when I did that, when I it's did my natural, first one, it's not natural, is it? It's just not natural. Like. It's not natural at all. No, especially at that pace. You know, you're you're jumbling up your stomach. Yeah. You're running to. You're basically running at threshold the whole time. You know, people think, oh, it must you know, it must feel so easy running at that pace. It doesn't. No. It really doesn't. And you're like asking your asking your like yeah. body your to digestive yeah. system to deal with it. Yeah. It's really unnatural. But yeah, when I did my first one in Cheshire, I didn't practice it at all didn't use to take nutrition on my runs, not even water. And then I decided to... Oh, so you did it in the race then, first time? Oh yeah. And not Wild. only did I, did, did I do it, I tried, so that was the first time I tried Morton. Heard about, that was the first time I really heard about Morton. I was like, brilliant, this super gel. This is good. This is going to be great. We stun Morton here. <laughs> yeah. We stun. Aaron's doing the heart, heart gesture there for the listeners. We do I do actually Morton. love Morton and I, oh. I do now use it. Big fan, in the right big, way, big fan. but yeah, this is this is my I mean, first. That's a roll of the dice, doing it first time in a race. First time, oh. hadn't really done. I mean, I had had gels before, but hadn't practiced with them. First time having water, and I only took caffeine gels. Don't ask what the what the logic was there, but those those gels are really really caffeinated as well. It's like 100 milligrams of caffeine per serving, which is yeah. a lot. Yeah. So unsurprisingly, two and a half gels down, I was like, mm, this, is, this is not going well for me. <laughs> and then I couldn't take anything else on for the whole race. <laughs> so, and I don't think I slept for about three nights. <laughs> so that went badly. But I learned from that experience. And after that, I practiced my nutrition. So yeah, lesson for all your listeners, practice your nutrition and don't find out, find out the hard way. Absolutely, and don't take any more, like if you think more than two Mortons, I think after midday, like, I'm oh, a full yeah. night. Yeah. Like, yeah, although they do, they have, I actually don't, I use the non-caffeinated ones a lot more. Um, I don't actually use the caffeine ones that much. I'll have, I'll have one in the race, but for training I normally just go for the 
non-caf. And I love the drinks. The drinks are really good. That must be nice as well when you shift to having the kind of drink stations and... Yeah, yeah, that is the luxury of being, being in the elites. You get your own drinks. What's that like, um, sort of when you're in the, the kind of the holding period, like when you're in the hotel and when you're mixing, like the sort of kind of Christmas Eve almost for runners, like the, the day before, like what's that atmosphere like? Yeah, it's actually, you know, it's really friendly and yeah, it's, everyone do their own thing? it's a bit of a mix, you know, some people, some people do like to keep themselves themselves, but most people are quite happy mingling and chatting and we all know each other. So, you know, you see, you see people you haven't seen for a year and it's, yeah, it's a really fun atmosphere. And, um, yeah, I, was, I had a couple of, my, couple of my good friends and training partners there as well. So, yeah, it's really fun. And, of course, there's all the, all the pre-race chat, which is, which is all good. <laughs> What's the pre-race chat? What are we talking? Like, strategy or just, like, maybe a bit of bit of joking around like what's that yeah a bit of strategy and yeah just you know, how how everyone's been feeling and you know of course everyone's feeling absolutely great the day before <laughs> whether or not you are you have to say you're feeling great i feel like you probably had the ace card though out of everyone or did you not tell them about the car accident oh no i didn't tell anyone oh, okay, i didn't tell okay. anyone okay. yeah again because i think i do think if you go in saying actually i'm feeling really banged up I uh, yeah, haven't been able to sense. do my strides, and to be honest, I'm feeling pretty rubbish about it. <laughs> You're be... going to feel rubbish about yeah, it. It's so, so true. I was like, no, I feel I'm so ready. I've, done, I've got this. <laughs> it would have been quite the flex, though, maybe just being like, yeah, I got hit by a car. Like, <laughs> <laughs> just like, <laughs> the ultimate flex. Oh, what about like other female runners out there, like? in terms of inspiration for you like we're talking about you know the elites and stuff and obviously there was such an incredible lineup for london it just feels mm. like even chicago marathon just gone like 10 seconds off a world record like outrageous oh. run um there like are there are there women out there that you kind of draw inspiration from that you look <laughs> yeah up to? i mean yeah so many i think times are just getting quicker and quicker and the depth as well you know there are so, so many yeah so much depth and you know, women who late thirties with kids doing amazing things, and you know, Kay Demarta and Sarah Hall and everyone. It's just it, there is just so much inspiration out there, and it's yeah, it's, it's absolutely incredible. I think it's just a real testament to you know there are really there's no like fixed formula to who can be a marathon runner and who can do well at it. Um, but yeah, it's, it's brilliant. I do feel you on the depth there. It does feel like, especially on the women's side, there just feels like there's so much talent out there at the moment. It feels like, it feels really encouraging, I think, for the sport, but I still feel like there's, I don't know, we're still, there's still like a, there's a, a, a gap that needs to be filled in terms of drawing more kind of people in and getting more and more people excited. Like, are you, do you think there's anything else that like, Kind of people within the sport, stakeholders, like athletes that can do to help sort of push that along to get more people encouraged and involved. Like, yeah, and it is hard. I think it's, I think it's just somehow, and I'm not really sure what the answer is, but I think it's bridging that or making. I appreciate it that's a massively to... difficult question as well. <laughs> like, solve the future of running. See you later. Like, yeah, it's it's that it's that gap between going from a good club runner to an elite. And that was the bit I found most challenging because ultimately you, you inevitably you end up in a period where you're you're still working full time, but you're also trying to put 100% into running and you're not getting any any brand financial support at this point. So you've got to work. But I mean, unless you're really lucky and, you know, can somehow you're loaded yeah you're loaded yeah. that's not that's not dance around it <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah unless your parents are loaded yeah. <laughs> then you know you've got to work you're trying to put everything into running and it's really hard you know there's a lot of sacrifice and it's like you know i felt like it was sort of groundhog day every day i'd get up i'd train i'd go to work i'd train i'd go to bed and you end up you know you sacrifice basically everything else to do that and it, that that period is is really hard, and I think I was, you know, I, I was fortunate that sponsorship for me didn't take very long, and I went from, you know, I was, I was only really doing that for, well, just over a year, which 
is is tough, but it's not it's not that long to, to be doing it. But you know, a lot of people have to do that for years, and there is no you know sponsorship. To be honest, a lot of it is luck and timing, and some some very good people it takes years and might not never happen might never happen. So I think it's and I don't know yeah I don't know I don't know what really can be done at that done about that, but it is. I think if, if there were a way to kind of make that transition a bit a bit easier and that that transition period a bit a bit easier that would be that would get more people into it but you know a lot of it is just having the guts to take the plunge to be honest mm. and ha having the the guts or the, the belief in yourself as well like. yeah 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 and it might not work out but and that that is the you know elite sport is brutal <laughs> You can, you're only as good as your last race and it might fall over at any point. Mm. But you've just got to be brave and, and do it. And you're talking there and you mentioned like the, the sort of the sacrifice like for, for like the people around you as well. Like you mentioned your fiance earlier, like are they, are they connected to the sport as well? Or is there, is there a little bit of like translation that needs to happen in terms of like, like when you were starting out in terms of what it was that you were kind of committing to? Yeah, I mean, my fiance is just unbelievably supportive. He he is he's a runner himself and right. totally gets it. Right. Um, so yeah, I mean, he's he's absolutely amazing about it all and is just my number one cheerleader from day one. He, in that. fact, he's always been the one who's like, "You got your job, you should do it." <laughs> um, <laughs> I love that enabler. Yeah. Brilliant. Oh yeah, he definitely is, and he would do anything to make it happen. But I I mean, there are lots of you know. There are lots of other people who I pretty sure thought I was absolutely nuts. Um, and it's hard with, you know, my, my friends, again, it's so supportive, but ultimately there are sacrifices in terms of you can't, you miss, you know, you miss parties, you miss weddings, you miss birthdays. And, and yeah, it's, it's hard for everyone. Is there like, at the elite level, I'm just trying to think of it in terms of like, the conversations I've had as an actor is there's sometimes a bit of a disconnect when people just say really stupid things to you like you know what you should do you should run at the Olympics <laughs> you know, it's like as if it's like the easiest thing in the world to achieve yeah. like have you kind of encountered the kind of the elite level running equivalent of that like oh yeah all the time all the time um the yeah the most after London everyone was like oh so you're going to the Olympics aren't you no that's not the way it worked <laughs> why not <laughs> Is that thing, I suppose, and that, I, I, like for kind of us within the kind of running ecosystem at obviously varying kind of degrees, like we know of like all the minutiae, the club system, like, you know, kind of um, uh, British champs, European champs, there's all these different like layers, but I think for a lot of people it's like the Olympics or nothing. Like, yeah, yeah. Like there's need more to be done. Like there's a whole, there's a whole plethora of like, of, of racing like cross country that's like imminently about to start like maybe that's part of it like yeah. getting that word out there yeah definitely and yeah i think you know world championships for example i think unless you're in athletics not many people really understand what it is and when we had so we had the summer commonwealth games europeans and world championships and everyone was like why aren't you going to the commonwealth games and you know it's, it's obviously it's, it's like explaining one of three, like yeah there's so many i could go it's to like, well firstly i got selected for worlds <laughs> secondly you can't just choose which one you go to and thirdly it's the world championships it's kind of a big deal but yeah it's um yeah i think i think you know more to be honest more media and again london it's it always baffles me and i'm not just saying this because i wanted TV time, I don't care about that at all. But, you know, the Brits were not covered on TV at all. And I just think it's bizarre for London Marathon, who give funding to British athletes and then don't cover them on TV. And then, you know, getting people into sport in the UK, they want to see other Brits, other Brits doing it, you know, don't get me wrong, the, the Africans who crack out these insane times are incredible and so inspiring mm. but not that relatable you know i wouldn't say you know average most club runners wouldn't look at look at the kenyans and be like i can do that mm, 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 mm. <laughs> i i can be that person mm. so yeah i think more more 
your coverage, really. I think the coverage is really interesting, actually. And it's funny you mentioned London. So I was I was out as was as was Aaron working, came, kind of came back to watch the um, catch up, put it on mm. iPlayer. They didn't cut to the the women's elite race. It was no. like a highlights thing, and it was like. Yeah. What yeah. if my what if my best mate was running in it? Like you know yeah. what I mean? Like how how do I what, how do I how do I find this footage? Like yeah. it's mental. There isn't any. But, there isn't any. But like global, yeah. multinational. I'm not doing down the BBC here. We're not. I'm not defunding the BBC. <laughs> don't worry. Don't worry. Don't worry. Like the technology's there. Like it's not yeah. that hard. And there was there were cameras filming. Like well, there wasn't anyone filming me. So there wasn't the a bike. No. Was, no. Not for the whole race. I know it's crazy. It's You'd think just there's just there's so many reasons to have that coverage, and yeah, it's it's nuts. All right, listeners, yeah. start the campaign. <laughs> I want to strongly work now. <laughs> and it's funny actually. So many people commented afterwards, and like, I was so disappointed that there wasn't coverage of, of mm. the women's elite race. You know, not just me, but. Everyone else in the yeah, world. Yeah, yeah, because there was the different start as well. You know, the staggered yeah. start. Like, there felt like there was a conscious effort from uh, the organisational thing to sort of delineate the two. Yeah. Like, so I, d I don't know why, and I'm sure I'm not a live broadcast expert. I don't work for the BBC. I don't know the logistics involved or how it actually plays out on the day. But it feels like yeah, it feels it like an easy goal. Yeah, like, yeah. Hire a couple more cameras. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Oh man, but um, just kind of like to, to close it out because I'm conscious of, of, of your time as well. I don't want to take up too much more, but usually wrap things up with two expansive questions. And considering you've had a sort of relatively short kind of journey into running, I don't know, maybe, maybe, there's, maybe there's not a lot to draw on, maybe there's loads, but I'm curious always with things that perhaps haven't gone well for you and what they've taught you in the, in the long run. If there's kind of one particular, maybe a misstep or a, or a failure or something that didn't kind of pan out the way you wanted to, is there a particular one that you can draw from in terms of your running life that's something um, you'd like to share I with think as, as a lesson that's Not so much a failure, but I would say my biggest- Don't get hit by a car. <laughs> don't get hit by a car. Um, and don't get COVID. <laughs> Top <Easy>. tips. <laughs> Second one, easier said neither, than done. Neither are very conducive to marathon running. Okay. But I would say my biggest regret so far is just not getting too hooked up on the times and not enjoying it. And so last, last London, I, it was my first elite race and sort of first time properly on an elite start. At a, at a major, I ran a PB, I got a sub 2.30, I came second Brit, and I was devastated because I hadn't hit the time that my coach had set me. My coach was disappointed, and you know, I finished and he just said, don't worry, on to the next. And I broke down, I absolutely broke down in tears. And to me, that was just like, I failed. And That's looking wild. Back, I know, I know, right? That's wild. I know. And every, I mean, looking back now, I'm like, I'm, I'm angry at myself because I should have just been like, this is amazing. Mm, mm. And so I think that has been, that's a regret and something I've really learned from to just, there is no point doing that as well. Even if, it, even if it's not quite what you wanted, there's no point getting really hung up on it and wallowing in the disappointment because races aren't perfect. And as long as you give your absolute best, then you've succeeded. So that is my new mantra. <laughs> Just give your best. And actually that was that was what I went into London with. You know, I really had the odds stacked up against me, but I was like, you know what? All I've got to do is give my best on the day. And if I do that, I will be happy. Love that. So that's my new I that's my that, new philosophy. I mean, that was brilliant. I didn't mean you said it then. I mean like if anyone could have had the most seemingly cruel odds stacked against them prior to a race then and to go out and smash it like you're the kind of exemplar of that um, and that's a lovely lovely sort of response i'm curious to just tag in one more expansive question like we talked a little bit about like well there's a lot of noise i feel like in running there's a lot of um there's a lot of myths out there um, seemingly the myth that there's not enough cameras at the bbc to cover the women's elite <laughs> race as well i feel like that's probably a myth but um are there any myths out there that you've encountered that you'd like to take this opportunity to debunk? I think 
that marathon training has to be specific and there's a, there's a special formula for it. I don't believe there is. I think there's a lot of ways to skin a cat mm -hmm. when it comes to marathon training. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I can't, I'm not saying I'm an expert in any way because I'm not, but just seeing how differently people train and, and actually how differently I've trained over, over the course of the two years. I think there's basically, you just got to run a lot and <laughs> do so some marathon specific stuff but there are lots of ways to get there and i think a lot of people get hung up on you know finding finding the exact formula for for running a marathon and what everyone wants everyone wants a d definitive answer as to how to do it and i don't believe there is one that is a perfect myth to debunk i think yeah everyone's looking for that sort of quick fix of like well you take these pills or you buy those shoes your way. Pills, I'm not talking about doping, by the way, guys. <laughs> Supplements here. <laughs> um, but everyone does want that, but it's, yeah, it's a quick fix, but it does involve a lot of running. That feels like a lovely, lovely note to, to end our conversation on. Thank you for strolling through the streets of Westminster and uh, revisiting Thank you for having me. the finish of the, of the marathon and for being such a, a brilliant guest on The Big Run. <laughs> thank you very much for having me. A big thank you to Rose for joining myself and for Aaron for taking such incredible photos of the conversation. I heartily recommend the Regency Cafe for a good greasy spoon in London and the, uh, the builder's tea is excellent as well. Thank you so much for joining me for The Big Run. I'll be back next week with another fascinating conversation. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at The Big Run and also check out the wonderful work that Aaron and Jerry and Haffy do over on Curative Runners. I'm sure you're already familiar with them. Thanks for joining me. I hope your running's going well and I'll see you next week for The Big Run.